Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to get into just kind of a, we're not in a series right now, just a few things that I believe God's laid in my heart to speak to you today. I want to look in the Gospel of John this morning, John chapter 1. This is John's prologue in chapter 1 here before he gets into his account of the gospel. And he says this in in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now he's referring to Jesus here. Jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. Now this is beautiful. Sometimes we can, we can read over this, but think about this. The Word, God himself became flesh. We just celebrated this in Christmas. If you're not familiar with the word incarnation, that's what Christmas is all about. That word carne is like flesh or meat. God was in flesh. And this is beautiful to me. This is, this is showing us the relationship that God desired. And, and it's not that he just became flesh. Look at this, and dwelt among us. God lived with us. And he still lives in us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Now look at this. Full of what? Grace and truth. This is huge. Verse 16. For of his fullness, or we could say from his abundance, we have all received. So we've all received from his abundance. Not only that, and grace upon grace. You get too much grace yet? Verse 17, for the law was given through who? Moses, but what? Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now, I love this version. It was realized through Jesus Christ. It was brought, right? But realized is an important word here. You you know, when something is realized, it doesn't mean that it just happened then. It means that it already had happened, but now you just realized it's there. Now that's huge. So through Jesus, we realize grace and truth like it's already been there all the time. You just didn't see it. But Jesus came, God in flesh, God himself to us to say, I want you to realize something. I operate in grace and truth. And this is big. So there's four occasions of the word grace in three verses here. Did you know that the word grace is only translated four times in the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't contain the word grace, and only the prologue to John's gospel contains this word. In fact, Jesus never said the word grace in all four gospels, but he shows grace in everything he does. See, if you read his life, look at how he responded to people, how he treated people, how he encouraged people. It was always in grace. We could say this, Jesus was the embodiment of grace. And it's, it's funny to me that when we call ourselves Christians, which by the way, Jesus didn't come to start a religion called Christianity. He came to show us who the Father is, show us what it was all about, and say, open relationship. But that's, that's what it was all about. And then he showed us things. He showed us the kingdom and things like that. But, but do you realize that, that Jesus came to show us this relationship we can have and how important it is to us. But he did it because he embodied grace. One pastor says this, that Jesus was the grace of God in sandals. I think that's awesome. 
I'm thinking about the parables of Jesus. And I love the parables of Jesus. I mean, there's just some things that he says within those. And I think if we do a flat reading of parables, then, then a lot of times we miss the point. We miss the depth of what he's saying. First of all, when we go to a parable, I think it's important that we see the context that Jesus was speaking. Who he was speaking to. What the time frame was as, as first century Jews and what they were hearing to their Jewish ears. I think it's important to see that because if we, if we listen in that first century Jewish ear, we could become offended because Jesus said some things that didn't make sense, things that would completely throw us off. But I, what I, one thing I notice about the parables are their stories about his grace. It, it always shows the grace of God throughout the parable because it doesn't line up with even what the Jews would call the law or the Torah or what they would go for. Now listen, I'm not anti-Semitic. I love the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Did anyone know that? It's funny how many people don't know that Jesus was Jewish. He was a rabbi, folks. But Jesus would say things, and it wasn't unlike any other rabbi of the time. Jesus would say things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You know, Jesus wasn't the first rabbi to say that. The rabbis were always looking into the Old Testament. They were turning it about. They would, they would consider every scripture to be like this multifaceted gem, and they would find so much truth hidden within this gem. And so they would come forth, and certain people would follow certain rabbis, and these rabbis would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. In other words, my interpretation of what this says is this. And their interpretation was called a yoke. And so you would sit under the yoke of rabbi so-and-so and Jesus said something. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on this religion? Come to me and find rest. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, my teaching is easy if you get it and it's light for your soul. I've come to give you rest for your soul. And so through this interpretation of scripture when Jesus would say you've heard it said but I say to you and even sometimes change what was said or go against what a prophet said or did which think about that in that time was a big deal but Jesus was trying to show us the truth about himself trying to show us the truth about God many times he did this in parables now Jesus' parables aren't just stories or lessons with the moral we need to understand this uh, Jesus would put together, I believe, these brilliantly crafted stories that are designed to disorient us or offer a change or a paradigm shift. Change your thinking is what Jesus was trying to accomplish. Jesus said the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, both the same thing. He would say it's at hand. In fact, it's in you. And he was trying to demonstrate the kingdom both through word and through deed. How many have seen the movie, The Matrix? The trilogy's cool, but there's something about the original movie, The Matrix. I mean, to me, it's just a classic. There were so many spiritual truths within this movie. You have these two different realms, and you have people who haven't yet awakened to this, this other parallel universe that exists. And when I see that movie, I almost see Jesus coming and saying, look, there's planet Earth, yeah, but there's also planet Heaven. And, and believe it or not, it's not somewhere far away. It's actually here and it's now. It's like this parallel universe and it's slowly being unveiled through you. Slowly being unveiled through me. Till one day when Christ comes, the full manifestation of Heaven will be here. Right? 
The earth is the Lord's. Everything's his. We're here for a reason. He put us here for a reason. And we're supposed to be bringing a little bit of heaven bit by bit to this earth so people can see what heaven is like here and now. But there's this line in the movie The Matrix where Morpheus is sitting with Neo who just experienced some things he never knew existed and they're sitting face to face in these chairs and he says this, after this, there's no turning back. Now, have you felt that as you've grown on this journey in Christ? Like you thought one thing about God or one thing about theology, it begins to change and you're like, you know what? I can never go back. I can never go back to the way it was before. And then he says this, very famous line. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. There's times I've wanted to take that blue pill and go back because I'm like, I'm learning way too much new stuff and sometimes it seemed like it was just a little bit easier to stay ignorant. But he goes on to say, you take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. See, Neo took the red pill. How deep does this rabbit hole go? And, and I think through the parables of Jesus, we, we get this light into this rabbit hole called heaven and what it looks like, the kingdom of God. And so I love the parable. See, Jesus wants to disorient us from the matrix of assumptions of how the world is and must be. See, at this time, of course, he was speaking, this was written to first century Jews, but we can apply these things to us, these parables, these sayings of Jesus. We just have to understand who he was speaking to, what covenant he was speaking of, because we're now in a new covenant, right? And so there were times he would speak to them in the law form and then bring them slowly and sometimes prophesy about this coming covenant called the new covenant. And so we have to see that. In this, but he wants to bring us into this parallel universe that he calls the kingdom of God. So today I want to look at a parable in Luke. It's one that we covered before. It's been a while, but there's a few parables that I, I really love. The, the parable of the crooked manager is, is an awesome parable to me. And let's read this together in Luke chapter 16. You with me this morning? And as we read this parable today, I'm hoping that it can shed some light on what Jesus was saying and can be something that we can apply here and now today, but something that will change our thinking. It's going to be a little bit disorienting. It's going to throw us off kilter just a bit, but that was the point of Jesus and his parables. Starting in verse 1 of Luke chapter 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, a rich man had a business manager. The manager was accused of wasting the rich man's property. So the rich man called for his manager and said to him, What's this I hear about you? Let me examine your books. It's obvious that you can't manage my property any longer. The manager thought, What should I do? My master is taking my job away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that people will welcome me into their homes when I've lost my job. Look at this, verse 5. He comes up with this plan. So the manager called for each one of his master's debtors. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? The debtor replied, 800 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot of olive oil. That's a lot of money. And I'm sure it was organic in this time, right? The manager told him, take my master's ledger. Quick, sit down and write 400 
Now look what he's doing. You owed me 800, change it to 400. Verse seven, then he asked another debtor, how much do you owe? The debtor replied, a thousand bushels of wheat, which we could say that's a lot of money, right? Look what the manager told him. Take the ledger and write 800. You notice how he's reducing what they owe? Look at this in verse eight. The master praised the dishonest manager for being so clever. Now, if, if that doesn't rock your world right there, he praised the dishonest manager for being so clever. He goes on to say, worldly people are more clever than spiritually minded people when it comes to dealing with others. I think if we retold this in a modern day fashion, let's just imagine for a moment, there's this property owner, we could say a landlord, and he has so much real estate that he has this property management company. Well, he needs a manager to run this company for him. Well, this manager was, as Jesus said, wasting the owner's money. We could say he was embezzling money. He was taking money. He wasn't being smart with the funds and he was called to account. In other words, bring the books and guess what? You can no longer be the manager because I can no longer trust you. So he had a little time before he had to bring the books before this master or the owner. And he had this brilliant idea. So he calls one person and he says, listen, you pay $1,000 a month in rent, right? Like, yep, every month. He says, I'll tell you what, let's reduce that to 500. Now, wouldn't that be nice? If someone called you, your place of business or your home or, or, or even your mortgage, say, hey, we're just going to cut that in half. We'll cut what you owe in half. Wouldn't you be like, hallelujah. Good times, right? He calls another one in. Now, this guy, he, he paid $1,000 a month, but he was behind. He owed 2000 And so he said, well, let's just reduce that to 1000 Wouldn't that be awesome? Like relieve a little pressure? You ever had someone that maybe you owed money and they said, don't worry about it. Or, you know what, just, just go ahead and pay for this, and it's like half the cost. You're like, seriously? And it's such a blessing because they reduced what you owed them. Now, when the landlord hears this, he has two choices to make. Now, think about this. The manager tells these people that you no longer owe what you owe. In fact, you only owe half now. And this landlord, this property owner, he has only two choices The first choice is tell the people that the good news that the manager was preaching about him wasn't true and caused the people to be upset, to be angry and frustrated. Or he could go along with the story that he's a gracious landlord and that the people could believe he was good because the good news was being preached to them. Now let's think about this for a minute. The master praised the dishonest manager for being so clever. So this manager told the people, because did the manager represent the landlord? So what he said would be what the owner said, right? So what he said, the people would hear, oh, the owner, the landlord is telling me that I don't owe as much. For him to go against that would now cause frustration, anger. I thought you said, but imagine the choice of going along with what the manager says and being that gracious landlord that the manager preached. This is big. Because I truly believe this, that God will be to us who we preach him to others. God is to us how we talk about him to others. So here's the question. What is God like? 
And you know, I titled this today, if you want a title, it's, Does Your God Need Anger Management? Because we all have a God in our minds, right? And so when we ask this question, what is God like? Think about this. I can take you to any point in scripture and show you what God is like according to my perspective. Do you understand this? I could go to Joshua and say, this is what God's like. I can go to Moses and say, this is what God's like. Or I could go to Jesus and say, this is what God's like. Do you notice a difference between the perception of Moses and Joshua and Jesus? There's a big difference. And I don't want to dig all that up because talk about paradigm shift. But Jesus said some things that were contrary or exact opposite to what others wrote about God, especially in the Old Covenant. Jesus came to reveal, to help us realize. One version says to explain God. <laughs> Let me explain something to you. And they were like, what? Paradigm shift. But think about that. God will be to us who we preach him to others. You see, the angry God who's looking for any reason to throw sinners into a fiery hell of torment? Is he an unhappy God who can barely stand the sight of humanity? I've heard those sermons. Or is he a loving God who desires relationship with all of humanity? Is he a God who desires to be the father of of all creations. You know, see, like I said earlier, God will be to us who we preach him to be to the other. So here's the thing. Do we have a God created in our own image? And I'd have to say, yeah. I mean, all of us to a certain point, how we see our perspective shapes the God that we see. Think about this. Angry people preach an angry God. Ashamed people preach a condemning God. Anxious people preach a terrifying God. Or on the other side, gracious people preach a gracious God. Happy people preach a happy God. And I would consider this me, loving people, because I'm so loving, preach a loving God. Here's what I found, that the more that I realize his love for me, the more loving it makes me. Because I realize I'm built in his image. I'm made in his image. I'm loving as well. So the more that you get this love, it's like it's, it's impossible for me to preach or teach or talk about God without an element of love there. I mean, to me, that God is love. The Apostle John says he's love and he's light. Now, I said this a week or two ago. You know, some people think that, that love is just ooey-gooey. No, sometimes love hurts. Remember that song? Was that band Nazareth? That's way but That was even the name of the band, Nazareth. Do you know we opened up for him one time at Capitol Theater in Flint? Yeah. Doesn't matter, does it? But when they sang Love Hurts, the whole crowd went wild and the lighters went up. There were no cell phones yet, right? But sometimes love hurts. I mean, God is, is love. He's a consuming fire. And a lot of times that, that light of love will show areas, expose areas in our life so we can see things for how they truly are in our soul. We can see that brokenness for what it is. But then what happens is that consuming fire of love comes in. It's passion. It's concern. 
It's love, it's grace. It comes in there and says, this is not healthy for you. That's why people get things confused. They think when you preach grace and love, you're giving people a license to just sin and do whatever they want. Uh Uh-uh. When you understand grace and love, it awakens you to who you truly are. And you look at those things you used to do and you say, that's not who I am. And so now, rather than behavior modification and trying to do something a certain way or performance mode, now it comes out of your heart and you realize, that's who I am. Man, why do you, how can you love people who aren't lovely? That's who I am. How can you show grace to ungracious people? It's who I am. And it's not being haughty. It's just saying, I'm built, I'm born in his image. I bear his image on this earth. So it's, it's not haughty, but you know, I hope that my, my kids never are ashamed to bear the name Baransic in this earth. Why would we want to be ashamed of bearing the name of God in this earth? It's not proud. It's not haughty. It's the truth. It's who you are, your sons and your daughters. When we awaken to that, we act different. We talk different. We walk different. We see others different. We treat others different. There's no longer this racism and and this anger and this hatred and and this vindication and this retribution. We see things completely different because now we see it through God's eyes. And in the parables, this is what Jesus was always doing. Can I shift your thinking to kingdom thinking? Can I shift the eyes of your heart to see how God sees things? It changes everything. You know, Jesus said this. He said, love others as I have loved you. I mean, it's the very foundation of relationship with God. We could even say it's the very foundation of Christianity. Again, God will be to us who we preach him to others. I believe that's what Jesus was showing us in this parable. Now, now stop for a second because we realize that the main character in this parable was dishonest and crooked, right? So we see right here in this parable that this wasn't a good story with a moral. I mean, if it was true, then, then Jesus would be praising this man of his deceitful and scheming ways. Jesus never said, wow, you are so good at being deceitful. Wow, your scheming ways are absolutely amazing. He never said that the man was good. He never said that the man had done the right thing. He said the man was smart. Why was he smart? By preaching the good news of a gracious owner, he then received grace himself. I know our minds are still like, what? I'm sure they were too. Jesus Christ, how can this be true, right? you know, to Jesus. I mean, think about this. It's like, Jesus, what are you saying? I'm saying he made the right decision. See, that, that manager must have thought there was, there was some type of, of grace in this landlord or this owner, or else I don't think he would have gone this route. I believe in his heart of hearts, he thought, even though I've messed up, I'm crooked, I'm dishonest, I'm going to preach the grace of the landlord, the grace of the owner, so then in turn, maybe I'll receive that grace. Because guess what? The God we believe in is the God we get. And it's not God dishing it out. It's how we see. And that's why one person can see a tragedy, you know, a car accident and a loved one passes away and one person can say, wow, 
That is horrible. We're praying for comfort and peace that God will bring that to you. On the other side, I've heard people say, wow, well, we're just praying that, that somehow you will learn a lesson and find why God did this to you. Now listen, I'm not here today to challenge other people and pastors. I really believe that most people in ministry who are preaching what we call the gospel have great intentions. I have pastor friends. We, we disagree completely on theology, but I know that I know that I know their heart is for people. They love people. Now they may choose to fear people into the kingdom. I see a different perspective where we love people into the kingdom because how you're born matters. If you're born in fear or from fear, your whole life will be fearful. You'll always be wondering if you're okay today. If you're born in love, even on your worst day, you know you're loved. And it's that love that will bring you through. It's that love that will, that will awaken you to your right relationship or righteousness. It's that love and that grace that will teach you to say no to those things that are hurting you. See, God loves you. He, he might not always love your actions, just like I don't always love the actions of my children because those actions are hurting them. But he never stops loving us. And so how you're born really matters. So what is God like? Looking back at John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word. Now think about this for a minute. I, I think this is interesting that John starts out in the beginning. There was another book to the Jews they'd be really familiar with that said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John starts out his gospel in this prologue and says, in the beginning was the word. And even when he writes about Jesus in the garden, another reference to Genesis in the garden, what's he saying? Jesus came to make all things new, new creation through Jesus. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Folks, if you want to know what the word of God is, it's not a book. It's Jesus. We love the Bible, but we love Jesus more. The Bible points to who? The word of God, Jesus. Just a little food for thought, a little extra for you. Won't even charge you extra for that. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. For his fullness or from his abundance, we have all received. And what else? Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. But look at this, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. Now stop for a second. What you talking about, Willis? No one has ever seen God at any time. Look at this. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, talking about Jesus, he has explained him. Now, I want us to think about this for a minute because if you're a Jew at this time and you're reading this letter from John, which, by the way, there were letters. There wasn't a Bible yet. These were just letters. If you were to read this, and he says, no one has ever seen God, ever. As a Jew, you would think back to the Old Testament. You'd think, what? I mean, Abraham ate a meal with God under the oaks of Mamre. I mean, Jacob saw him at the top of that ladder at Bethel. 
Moses saw him and his face began to shine, let alone the 70 elders that were eating and drinking in the presence of God. Isaiah saw him. Ezekiel saw him. And John basically says, nope, they didn't really see God. Come on, Jesus. What does that mean? He's saying compared to the revelation that we now have through Jesus Christ, no one has ever seen God. That's why I can say with confidence that when we read a description of God from anyone else other than Jesus, I believe sometimes it falls short. That's why we have to see everything through the lens of Jesus. He was coming to show a God who wasn't retributive, who wasn't angry, a God who wasn't holding your trespasses or your sin or your faults against you. A big difference. But this is what's beautiful about God. See, I love Israel. I love all nations. I love the Jewish people. It's, it's, it's a beautiful story of God's love saying, I will be to you whoever you need me to be right now. Do you know that covenants and sacrifice and temples and arcs of covenant and worshiping gods by sacrifices was what every culture around Israel did at the time? It wasn't anything new. But when he offered a covenant to them, it was completely different. Even their creation story was completely different. Other cultures, it was violence and carnage. It was one God fighting a God or a goddess and and tearing them to pieces and scattering them up on the earth. And that's how we became who we are. But this Hebrew story spoke of a God who created for the sheer joy of creating. He created human beings for love, for relationship. Completely different story. But even at that time, God was working with their mentality. I mean, for over 400 years in slavery, even when God offered them, I believe, when he called them to Mount Sinai, he was offering them a covenant just like the covenant with Abraham, which, by the way, the covenant with Abraham is just like ours today. It was, hey, I want to break covenant. Cool, what are we going to do? Go to sleep. That's what he told Abraham. Go to sleep. I'm going to do everything. Wake up. It's yours. But I didn't do anything. I'm not asking you to. It's called a grant covenant. And I believe when he called him, he says, prepare yourself for three days and then come meet me at the mountain. I believe he was, a, he was bringing them into covenant saying, I want to have that same covenant with you. But it says when they approached the mountain, they saw the thunder, the lightning. They saw God's presence and said they became fearful. And they fled from the mountain and they said, Moses, you deal with it. And so God, as a good father, said, that's fine. We don't have to do a grand covenant. Let's start here. And so we started with the covenant that said, like all the other cultures, if you do this, then I'll do that. If you do this, then I'll do that. Isn't that, I mean, that's beautiful to me that God worked within. He said, listen, if you want to make sacrifices, that's okay, but I'm drawing the line on some things. No human sacrifice, not allowed. I believe that's what he was teaching Abraham. When he asked Abraham to offer Isaac, do you know that it didn't actually happen? We shouldn't even call it the sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, the Jewish people call it the binding of Isaac because he wasn't sacrificed. So he puts him on this altar. Now, you ever wondered why, why Abraham didn't freak out? Like nowhere did God say, you know, uh, um, I'm going to have you offer your son. And he'd go, what? Are you kidding me? He said, okay. Why? Every other God asked for your firstborn. It was common practice to sacrifice your firstborn to the gods. So Abraham must have been going, okay, I guess he's like all other gods. But then he gets to the mountain. 
He builds the altar. He raises a knife to plunge it into Isaac. Now, he had faith because he even told the servants, you wait here, my son and I will return. He knew that Isaac was his promise. If God had to raise him from the dead, I don't know how it's going to happen. I will come back. But before he plunged that knife, what happened? An angel of the Lord came and stopped him. And he looks and there's a ram in the thicket. All set up. Also, Abraham could see this God doesn't require human sacrifice. I think that's important to see. So God allowed them to sacrifice. Even Hebrews said when you sacrifice, it would alleviate them of their guilt and their shame. It made them feel better. So God said, okay, let's do that. But eventually God says, I despise your festivals, your feasts, your sacrifices. Why? You've missed the whole point, relationship with me. And you know that eventually the Israelites, through evil kings, began to offer their children as sacrifices. They forgot who they were. It's the Valley of Hinnom, and actually later became Gehenna, which was a literal place in Israel. Still is today. It's actually a beautiful park now. I'd like to go visit it. But at that time, they would throw the criminals and the bodies, and they would burn them. It was the fire that wasn't quenched, and the worms, the maggots that didn't die. That's Gehenna, a literal place. But it was to remind them of their evil and the folly of going against the will of God and offering children as sacrifices. I don't even know why I'm getting into all that this morning. It's not on my notes. But I just want us to see some history here that, that God will work with you. He will be to you whoever he needs to be. That's why I love my brothers and sisters, even if they preach straight legalism. Because that's where they are. I love them if it's a mixture of legalism and grace. If it's straight grace. I love all my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ because we're all on different journeys. We all see God in a different way. But, but what's the key? The key is Jesus, the center of everything. I'm trying to open your minds a little bit. I'm trying to shift you just a little bit today to see things a little bit differently and stop separating yourself, us and them, that denomination and our denomination and this and that. We have to stop this. I'm preaching it. That's right. I'm going to say it. I'm going to preach it. We all preach, we all talk of the God that we see in our own minds, that we have, have made in our own image. No one has ever seen God, this is New Living Translation, but the unique one who is himself God, speaking of Jesus, is near to the Father's heart. Now look at this. I love this translation too. He has revealed God to us. That's even more plain. You ever seen, what was that show, uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition? And they would get to the end, and they would do the big reveal, and they'd say, <laughs> you saw it, move that bus. Why? Because we can't see the house for everything it is. But when that bus moves, it's all revealed. Jesus came to say, there's a veil over who God is. Let me remove that for you. And just like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, people go, ah, I can't believe it. And some people don't believe it. They go, I can't believe it, and I'm going to choose not to because it can't be that good. I'll stick with my angry, retributive God. I'm just trying to make it plain this morning. So 
We prefer to preach that God is the God that Jesus revealed to us. The God of grace and love as co-suffering, self-giving love. I believe that he's a father. Jesus introduced us to that word father. That word means source, source of everything. He's a father who has brought all of creation into favor with him, who desires to have relationship with any and all who believe. Listen, your belief doesn't change the relationship. It's already there. Your belief opens you up to the relationship. Does that make sense? This is the revealing of God and who he truly is. It's this overflow of wave after wave after wave after wave of grace, a God who's not willing that any should perish. But I want us to look at one last thing here today. Look at how Jesus responded, how he treated the religious leaders in the temple establishment. Because sometimes the Pharisees and the Jews get a really bad rap. And, and that wasn't Jesus' thing, Okay. Jesus loved everyone the same. But it was out of his love that he would rebuke. Yeah, he would admonish. Because these were people who, they were dead set on living law. They were dead set on holding on to a veiled and distorted view of God. They were separating themselves from the people. They were saying there were certain people who were less than who they were. They were taking advantage of people. The taxes at the time were coming in and were supposed to go by law to the poor. They weren't. They were heaping them on themselves. Listen, uh, corporate America, hello? Doesn't that happen? I mean, everywhere you go, right? It's human nature. It's not just a Jew's issue. It's human nature. And Jesus stood against anything that was anti-Christ or anti-kingdom, but with love. But Jesus was pretty rough on them. At one time he says, you brood of vipers. He called them snakes. Come on, Jesus. He calls them snakes, a brood of vipers. Well, guess what? They got the God that they preached to others. Preach that God is harsh and unforgiving, and that's the God you're going to get. Now, let me clear this up. I don't believe it's God saying, oh, that's how you think I am? Well, that's what you're going to get. No, you preach that God of anger and harshness and wrath because that's how you see God. And guess what? That's the God that you get. That in your mind is the God that you serve. And I'll tell you what, I, I've been with people and, and when you start just, when you have this complete freedom in Christ and this realize how big his love and his grace is and you start talking about that, people who are hell bent on an angry God, man, they just get irritated with you. They do not like it. Now, for some people, that's truly what they believe, and so they're, they're railing against that because they don't want anyone to go astray or the wrong way. I've had people say, Pastor, you know, uh, I love you, but you just seem a little too soft. I'm like, well, I'm working on it, New Year's resolution. They're like, no, 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 in your teaching. You seem a little too soft, a little too much love. I mean, what about judgment? But you know that God's judgment is a passion to show you such intense love that it changes your heart. It's absolutely amazing. And when you study this, you see this, that his judgment is this intense emotion of love because he sees you're going the wrong way and he wants to what? Bring you to repentance. 
And the scriptures tell us that the kindness of the Lord draws us to repentance. Repentance, metanoia, is mind change. We change our mind, and then because our mind changes, we turn and we go a different way. It's so important to see this. God will be to us who we preach him to another. I want to wrap up with just this one last quote. Pastor Brian Zahn sums it up like this. He says, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time that God was not like Jesus. But we haven't always known this, but we now do. Isn't that good? So our lens for seeing God should always be through the lens of Jesus. And Jesus would teach these parables to disorient us, to throw us off balance, to help us see things different because it's so easy. I mean, as a believer, I've, I've seen in myself sometimes where I'm just not gracious in certain areas of certain people, where I'm not loving in certain areas of certain people. I've seen in, in, in times past where I've been extremely retributive and, and for payback. And I don't feel that that's kingdom language to pay back I've actually heard preachers say those dirty rotten sinners one day I can't wait they're going to get theirs I just don't understand that why would you want anyone to get theirs you didn't it's because it's a heart condition Just like Jesus through the parables, I believe that the Holy Spirit is always working us towards this paradigm shift, thinking differently, seeing God differently, seeing ourselves differently, seeing others differently. And when we do this, it shifts everything, especially how we treat people, how we see people. I'm at a point where just like the heart of God, I am not willing that anyone should perish. I desire that everyone experiences eternal life. And that word eternal, by the way, life in the Greek, it's not talking about afterlife. It's talking about the highest caliber of life now. Big difference. We're guaranteed to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. But Jesus desires, God desires, I desire, you should desire that everyone experience the highest level of living possible. I'm not talking about finances and big houses and cars. I'm talking about soul. That we experience everything that God has given us for life, eternal life, and godliness. We'll say it one more time, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time that God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. Say thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. We thank you for better understanding of who you are. I thank you for better understanding of to ourselves whose we are. Because we are yours. You promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. And so 
A lot of us believe that. We, we, we see that as truth. But maybe for some of us, there are certain aspects or character issues that we see in you. Maybe for some of us, the God we see needs some anger management. Maybe the God that we see needs to change. Because God, you are to us who we see you to be. It's not that you're trying to be that, but you can't work through a mindset that sees you as angry and retributive because it won't let you in. And you're trying through your love, your grace, your mercy to work into relationship to show us, listen, I am love. It's not just ooey and gooey. I get it. There's issues in your life. I want to deal with this, but it's always with the intent to train you for the future because I love you. It's not punishment. So I pray that that intense love that you have for us would saturate us this morning, that we would, we would actually sense your presence because you're there, you've always been there. And, and we would say, yes, I believe you're there. And I believe that you're showing me the proper way to walk and to talk and to be. You're showing me who I truly am in my heart of hearts at the core. I am righteous and pleasing and holy and acceptable. And all you want to do is show that to me. All you want to do is prove that to me through relationship. Just say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your love towards me. I believe you. I trust you. If there's anything in my thinking that's contrary to who you are, Holy Spirit, show me. And by an act of my will, I say with my mouth, I believe you. I trust you. You're my father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're moving in hearts right now. You're changing minds right now through your kindness and your grace. And we're beginning to see even just a little bit more revelation, a little bit more unveiling of who you truly are. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would continue to work on us through the scriptures and by the Holy Spirit, we begin to see the proper picture of who you are. No more distortion in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, We pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.